Hello, I'm K.O. Hurston, and welcome to Hurston on Tennessee Family Law. Today, you're going to hear from another former client of mine. When Summer first came to see me, she was a young mother with little education, no work experience, and four young children. She had no money, an unhappy marriage, and no good options. When she pleaded with her husband to make some changes in the way he treated her, he told her it was his way or the highway. She had to choose the highway, and in the process, everything she knew, her children, her family, her entire way of life, everything was placed at risk. All of us can relate to parts of her story. At some point in each of our lives, we've all felt like we've been cornered, our backs against the wall, and the only way out is to face our fears head on. This is the story of a remarkable woman who faced one obstacle after another, who had to make the most painful, heart-wrenching decisions you can imagine, and who survived. There are some twists and turns along the way, so stick with it. I promise it's worth it. And at the end of this episode, you'll hear what I think is some fun news about the next episode. So, to really understand Summer's story, it's important that you understand her upbringing in a small, rural community. So that's where we begin. I came from a very religious background, a very loving home. I was very fortunate. Didn't realize a lot of that then, but looking back now, I do. So I loved my childhood. A lot had a, gr- a lot of great memories, but like I said, it was very religious and confining to a point that sort of, with my personality, made me want to rebel a little bit. So there was always a little of that going on anyway. Um, Just we were as very a teenager. Sheltered. A lot of it as a teenager. Um, That's really when I got to wondering what else there was. Um, We were very sheltered, um, and a lot was expected of us. We were preacher's children, so anything that we did reflected on my father and my mother. So that was was a pressure. And so you grew up in a... Let's just say it's a rural area of, uh, of Tennessee that's a couple hours outside of Knoxville. Yes, very rural. Everyone knows everybody. Um, so anything that's said gets around. And that was another factor in how we were to behave because everyone talked about it. Everyone would know. So you knew that if you screwed up, it would, word would get back to mom and dad, <laughs> not only mom and dad, but right. neighbors and everybody in the church and right. everybody everywhere. And preachers' kids are supposed to have it together. So are they? Somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow. Uh huh. Well, but so you, but you felt that pressure yes. growing up. How old were you when you got married? Eighteen. Was it uncommon for people in your community to get for women in your community to get married at age eighteen? Not at all. Um, it's it, it's what a lot of generations before us had done as well. And um, once again, with my background, it was sort of just the thing to do. How old was your now ex-husband when y'all got married? He was seven years older than myself, so he was 25. So at 18, were you, is this just straight from high school to marriage, or straight were you working? Straight from high school. Graduated in May and was married in August. How long had you all so. dated before you got married? <laughs> Only a few months, so three to four months. Did that concern you at all? 
not at the time. It would now look, you know, with what I've learned now, but not at the time. I was very naive. How did your family uh, react to the news that you wanted to get married after dating for a few months? Um, they were actually very happy. My uh, father and mother had basically the same story. They dated three to four months and were married, and they are still married today and going strong. So for them, it worked, and so everybody was really happy with the news. Okay, so they just thought you were just following in their footsteps right. and that it would have a fairy tale ending like theirs did. Right. So let's talk about your your married life. You got married in uh, at age 18, and how long uh, was it until you started having children? I was pregnant about four to five months after we were married. So in a year's time, we had a child. And then, so you had one child, but mm-hmm. that wasn't the end of it. <laughs> that was not. <laughs> so talk about your children and, and the decision to have children and, and how that all worked out. Well, I always wanted to be a mother. That was just something that I had dreamed about, and I always wanted to have a lot of children. And aside from that, there were things in the marriage. I was young and wasn't aware of it, but those children sort of fulfilled something in me that the marriage wasn't. I guess it was something to sort of direct my attention towards. So I kept having children. I had my second one 13 months after I had my first one. And then there was a third one 15 months after that, and a fourth one about 21 months after that. At what age are you when you have four young children? 23. Okay. (laughs) That's not easy, is it? It was not easy. It was challenging. And so what was the marriage like? Because you said that you thought maybe the kids filled a hole that the marriage didn't. My reasons for getting married at 18 were very different reasons than they should have been. There wasn't so much of a romantic involvement between us. Like I said, I was very naive and young at the time. So that was always lacking. There was always a closeness lacking there. And as the years went on, it went from lack of closeness to not liking the person. So the children were a place to direct my attention. And so to what do you attribute that? Was it incompatibility or? I think a lot of it was incompatibility. And I, at the time when I was married, had no idea who I was. I had never had that freedom to sort of figure out for myself. I was living a role, basically, that I was told I was supposed to live. So I never had got to a point where I really knew who I was by myself. So I think as the marriage went on and as I got a little older, um, those things started coming out in me, and it just, we weren't compatible anymore. So what sort of things did you do that helped you um, as you got older, find out who you were and what you liked and what you wanted and, and what you aspired to, to do? Well, one of the main things that changed me was I started going back to school. At 25, I enrolled in a community college. And it was a world outside of my children that I hadn't had in many years. Um, it was a place to talk with other adults who had different ideas than myself. And I really found myself there. It was a chance for me to investigate things about myself and to open up and talk with others and kind of see what I enjoyed. So, Did that get you to start thinking about 
opportunities or options outside of the marriage or beyond the marriage? It did. And it also created more of a space between us than was there before. Um, As I got more independent and started getting stronger in myself, it created sort of a jealousy or a intimidation in him. So it escalated things between us to where it was, it was no longer just coexisting. It was at a point where we couldn't get along anymore. I wonder if he perceived it in some way as a challenge to his status as the head of household or something, you know what I mean? I don't know how to put it. I've often wondered, um, because I would think you would want to be proud of what your spouse is doing. But that was an issue we had even before I started school. It just sort of escalated it. Um, He had a tendency to talk down to me anyway. And then as I got a little more independent, I just stopped responding to that. And it created issues, I think, which made him then maybe fight harder. So what caused you all to separate? What led up to that? Well, like I said, it had been something that had been growing for years. Um, The beginning of our marriage wasn't good to start with, and things had been growing. But after starting back into college, um, things just escalated and got to a point where, like I said, we really couldn't get along, and neither of us were happy. So I went through months inside myself toiling with, I didn't even want to say the word divorce, I knew how everyone around me would react. Yeah, well, how, how were you raised to think of divorce? Divorce wasn't really an option unless you were being physically abused or, you know, a case like that. Um, otherwise, especially if children were involved, you were expected more or less just to deal with it for the sake of the children. And that's what you'd been taught And that's what up. I'd been taught. And that's something I struggled with. I didn't want to hurt the children. So I struggled for months on debating what to do. And I just finally came to the conclusion that the children were in a household that was unhappy. Um, Neither parent was happy. And the children sense that. I don't care how much you try to hide it. They know what's going on. And I just, at the end of the day, wanted them to experience happy homes, even if it was two separate homes. And one day, um, he sort of pressured me into asking me what I wanted. And I don't think it was the answer he was expecting, but it was the first time I mentioned the word divorce. And from that point on, we went through months of trying to see if we could resolve the situation, but there was just nothing left by that time. Summer had been trying for a long time to fix the situation and avoid a divorce. She told me about a letter she wrote to her husband, making him aware of her feelings and asking him to make some changes. I was at my breaking point, and I... Is this after you all had been working on things for several months? No, this was actually before we had talked about divorce. It was before I had mentioned that. Um, 
it was the summer in between two of my semesters. I had still one year of community college to go. And I sat down one day while he was at work and wrote a lengthy letter trying to explain how I felt about the situation, um, trying to explain how he made me feel with his actions. And it, it really, I just poured my heart out in the letter, hoping that he would read it and that we would be able to change some things. Because at that point, I hadn't decided on divorce yet. And he read the letter, and the next day was life as normal. So there you, was no change. Do you recall, I know it's been a long time, but do you recall what you said in the letter? Not word for word, I don't. It has been a long time. That's probably about 11 or 12 years ago. But basically, I just told him how degrading he made me feel sometimes, uh, the way he talked to me in front of other people, lack of any appreciation, or there just wasn't a bond there between us that a husband and wife should feel. And I expressed all that to him, hoping that we could work on it. But like I said, the letter went unresponded to i mean he read the letter and then it was life as normal did you ask him about it after i did we had a few conversations about it and i i addressed the fact that because it was a serious letter and um i felt like that his lack of response was really a sign that he wasn't really in it to fix it either so that was really the last time i tried to fix anything what would he say? You say he spoke, he was degrading to you or spoke poorly about you in front of others. I mean, do you remember any specific examples? It's hard to give specific examples, but times when we would be in front of other people, um, at church, for instance, it happened several times there. We were both uh, involved in the praise and worship at our church. And if I would have an idea or advice on anything, he would quickly shut it down, you know, and make me look basically like an idiot in front of people. And they noticed it. Other people noticed it. It was very uncomfortable. And it happened a lot. Um, And if you try to talk about the instances just one at a time, they sound petty. But it was just a pattern of behavior that was like that. Was there any incident that led to the actual separation that led you to leave the home or him to leave? There was no big incident except for a few months after bringing up divorce. Uh, And we had talked back and forth about what we were going to do. He had not resided himself to the fact yet that we were going to get divorced. And um, I was planning to go and take my children to a birthday party in Knoxville. And as we packed to leave, he told me that if I left to stay gone and that it was his way or the highway, if I wanted to stay there, I had to live there by his rules. So this is because you're taking the kids to a birthday party? Yes. Um, And it wasn't really about the birthday party. It was just about him showing dominance. And I don't think he expected the reaction he got because I had nowhere to go. I had no other options, really. But something in me that day just switched and I found independence from somewhere so I loaded the kids up and I left and I didn't go back so that was really the changing point of when I decided I knew 100% for certain that we were getting divorced all right so you left with the kids yes and go to this birthday party we go to the birthday party and what happens after that 
Well, I get to the birthday party and I'm trying to hold in all these emotions because I was scared to death. I didn't sure. know where we were going to stay, where we were going to go, where we were going to go. Like I said, my family was not supportive of divorce. So I get to my friend's house, and of course, when the kids are off playing, I cry to her and tell her what's going on. And I was very fortunate. Those friends who I went to see that night gave me a place to stay and told me the decision was mine. They weren't going to try to influence me one way or the other, but they were going to give me a place to stay till I could get on my feet. So it was sort of a security that I had then. Um, I knew I had somewhere to go. How did your parents react when you told them that you were divorcing? Not well. I can't really tell those stories and, and make it seem like how bad it was. They were, there was a lot of tears, a lot of anger, a lot of upset. It was not a good time for me and my parents. Um, there was months that we didn't speak. Well, were they telling you to go back to him or that it's against uh, religious? Well, I need to go back and explain that throughout the marriage, I had sort of protected my husband. A lot of people didn't know what went on in our home, just the way. I mean, he, he wasn't physically abusive, but mentally and emotionally. And aside from what they witnessed on their own, I didn't talk about that. So a lot of people thought that we had a perfect relationship. We were fine. No problems. So it was sort of a shock to everyone um, when we announced that we were going to get divorced. And for my mother, at the time, her viewpoint was, I remember the day she said this. She said, Summer, you have four children to hell with your happiness. Now, my mother and I are very close now, and that was then. But that was their viewpoint at the time was that I had four kids. It didn't matter. didn't matter what didn't he did matter. or whether no. you liked it or not. He was not physically abusing me, so it didn't matter at that point. All right, so when you separate, you have no job. No job. No money. That's right. You do, through some friends, have a place to stay. Mm-hmm. And so what happens? Where do the kids go? The people who offered me a place to stay had an office space and a blow-up mattress, no room for the kids. So that was a hardship. At the time, I had a place to go, but I didn't have a place to keep the kids. So it was one of the hardest things ever. I left the kids with their dad. I took them back. And it took me about two months from that time to have a place to live and to be able to get the kids back with me then. So So how did you go from having no money, no place for the kids? I mean, what happened in those two months that got you to that better place? Well, a couple days after moving here, I went and started filling out applications. That was the first thing. I knew I had to have money. So I got a job within maybe a week and a half of moving to Knoxville. So then I started income. Then I got a second job. Then my fall semester started back with school. So, um, but I had a place to live. I had income coming in. I was in a lot better place than I was when I left. So during that two months, you're just squirreling away money so you can get an apartment. Correct. um, And uh, and have place for the kids. Yes. You found a lawyer. You filed for divorce. 
The case was not able to get settled. As I recall, we had to go try this case because your ex-husband wanted the kids to live with him most of the time, and you wanted the kids to live with you most of the time. Is yes, that right? That is correct. And at the, by that time, you were in Knoxville, and he was back home in the rural part of the state that's a couple hours away. Yes. So it was impossible for you all to share equal time. With there, the, there, Yeah, there was no possibility of doing that at all. With the kids being enrolled in school and, and the distance between, there was just no, no working that out. Well, and leading up to the trial... Do you remember being frustrated with the process or I don't know what, how did you feel? I was frustrated. Part of my frustration was, I hate to use the word silly, but the silliness of where we were, I felt like it was a lot of wasted time and wasted money for a situation that we could have, you know, agreed upon much earlier. Well, yeah, we haven't covered that. You all didn't have any money. Not only did you not have any money, he didn't have any either. No, no property to speak of or anything like that. There was very little here. And um, usually that helps motivate people to act in their, if nothing else, their economic self-interest and reach some sort of compromise. Well, what got us to that point, and I think this is where when you're going through this process, you have to keep your emotions in check We were both good parents. We both loved the children. But there was animosity from mostly his side because I filed for divorce and that upset him. It wasn't so much that he wanted to take the children from me as it was as that was his way of getting back at me. And that's something you want to avoid at all costs is trying to use the kids against the other parent. Is that what you think it was? That's. I mean, you know yes. him better than I do. Yes. My perception was always that he just got bad legal advice, that his lawyer was telling him, you've got a chance and we should go do this, and that he just, not knowing any better, just went along and took his lawyer's advice, which is always you encourage people to do. Um, that was how I perceived it. I thought this guy's getting... I think that's getting... what it was in the end. Okay. Uh, in the beginning, it was his way to... And I'm not trying to speak bad of him. We have a very good working relationship now. Everything's fine. But it was his way. He was still hurt and stung from the divorce filing. And that was his way of getting back at me. So, All right. So your case goes to trial. And as you mentioned, there's really no property to speak of. Y'all divided your things amongst yourselves. And so really the, the only issue at trial was who's going to be the primary residential parent of the children. What was it like sitting through a trial where your kids' futures are at stake? Nerve-wracking. I can't, I don't think I've ever been so nervous in my life. Scared more than nervous. And once again, being from a small town and the, we were in the courtroom, you know, where I was from, where I grew up, where I knew everyone, that made a difference too. Did you see people in the audience that you knew? I tried not to look, <laughs> but you know, you just know that word gets out in small towns. So that was that was another um, scary thing for me. But yeah, I, I don't think I've ever been so scared. I was extremely nervous. So your mother testified on your behalf at trial about your parenting with the children and so forth. What did you uh, think about that? I. I love my mom. What can I say? I mean, me and my mom are very close. 
It was a rough time for us. And she definitely had her opinions about the decisions I was making. But my mom is truthful to a fault. And I was very proud of my mom because I know it was hard on her too. She's grown up in that area as well. And um, it really made me appreciate my mother that she was willing, even though she did not agree with what I was doing. And we had a strain on our relationship. She was still willing to get up there and tell the court what she knew about my parenting and my mothering skills. So, I mean, she really came through for you. She did. My recollection is she was a, she was a tremendous witness. And I think she wanted to do what she felt was best for her grandchildren. Right. I think that had something to do with it. But, yeah, I mean, you'd come a long way from her saying, to hell with your happiness, <laughs> to being your witness right. in a trial in front of other people right. in the community uh, and telling the court what she knew about what kind of parent you were and what kind of parent he'd been. Right. She uh, she definitely came through for me. She was amazing. And reading back through the testimonies was really... Because like you said, it's been a lot of years, and I had forgotten a lot of things. But going back through that kind of brought back to memory sort of the anxiety and the nervousness of that day and what it took for her to get up there and, and yeah. testify. I was worried about my mother because it was a very emotional time for them as well. But she, she did a great job. She rallied. Yeah. Do you remember when your ex-husband testified? Yes. What do you? <laughs> what was it like sitting there watching him tell the court that he thought it'd be better off if the children were with him most of the time? Sometimes it's hard just to sit there and hear things and not want to speak your piece uh, or speak your mind. But it was hard to sit through some of it because there were some things things said that weren't completely accurate. Um, but in the end, his testimony also was that he realized the kids would be fine either place. So that was sort of a relief moment for me because at that moment, sort of the worry and the fear of what was going to happen at the end of this trial, um, him being on stage or on stage on the stand and saying that I was a good mother, sort of, that was a moment for me where I was able to relax a little. Yeah. You know, there was sort of a, there was a dramatic moment in this trial. And, you know, in the end, looking back on it, he, he may have been your best witness. He may have been. <laughs> so this, this moment that happened in your trial was basically, I asked him an open-ended question, which you're not supposed to do, but just to tell the court why he thought the kids would be better off with him. And what happened? Do you remember? I do remember. And reading through the transcripts helped me, you know, remember more of it. But I will say that it, you, you did perfect because his one of his weaknesses has always been communication. So I think it was hard for him to deny that I was a good mother. But when you ask him that, I don't think he really had a choice. I think he knew that everyone else out there sitting, listening to him would know he was not telling the truth if he said that I was not a good mother. So even though it was risky on your part, I think it was a very wise thing to do. Um, I think it just put him in a corner where he had no option but to admit that I was a good mother. Well, but what ultimately happened, I asked him to state his case, why he thought it was right. best for the kids to be with him most of the time. 
and he couldn't answer it. Right. You know, he sat there for, it felt like a really long time. It was probably about 20 seconds of silence while he searched for an answer. And the judge is looking at him. I'm looking at him. You're looking at him. His lawyer's wishing he was somewhere else. And he didn't have an answer to that. I mean, that's the basic right. question. That's what right. our whole trial was about. And he couldn't right. answer it. Um, and that, that 20 seconds of silence, I think, spoke volumes. I think so. And I think that's the moment when everybody realized that it was very silly for us to be in that spot at that time, fighting over custody when there was no reason to be fighting over custody. Do you remember your testimony? I do. I remember being on the stand more than I remember the testimony. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, Very nerve wracking. And I remember being scared to death about the cross-examination from the other attorney. Do you remember how you prepared? I read through all of your notes. I went over everything that you told me to study. I think we got together and sort of worked on um, what to expect as far as questions maybe from the other lawyer. Um, I prepared a lot. I did a lot of reading and a lot of just preparing my answers so that I wouldn't be caught off guard. When when you stepped down and and the trial was coming to an end, did you feel that you had done well or? I did. I felt like that preparation I would recommend, it, it's very important. Don't just wing it. Don't just wing it. <laughs> not at all. Definitely be prepared. It makes a huge difference. And I felt like the preparation made it a lot easier when we were going through it because emotions are high. You tend to say things when emotions are high that you wouldn't want to say. So I think preparation definitely is a big key to doing right in the, you know, on the stand. I got up to uh, deliver my closing argument and the judge cut me off. He didn't want to hear it. And he just immediately started announcing his ruling. Do you remember that? I do remember that. (laughs) So (laughs) at this point, I didn't know what was normal and not that he interrupted, you know, closing arguments, but... Really, as soon as the judge started speaking, after only a couple sentences, I felt a relief because I could sort of feel the direction in which it was going. Well, I think he commented something to the effect of this was really unnecessary. Yes. Or or words to that effect. He He may not have said it that bluntly, but that this whole trial had been unnecessary, that it wasn't really a close call. Right. He He was pretty direct about that. But yeah, after only... A couple sentences into his talk there at the end, it was like a huge relief. It was the first time I guess I'd been able to breathe through the whole process, really. And there was a lot that followed even after that, but that was the biggest, the most scary step of everything. That was the finalization of, I know I've got my kids now. We can put this behind us. Amazing relief. And you had told me to hold back the smiles, and that was very hard. (laughs) Uh, I was smiling inside. I was so happy that this was finally over, the months of worry and stress, uh, and that the kids could get back to some normalcy in their lives. As we sit here today, it's been just a little over 10 years since your trial and your divorce. Uh, And so I want to ask you about all the changes that have happened since that trial and what life was like since that trial. So let's go back and, you know, obviously 10 years ago or when the trial occurred, your relationship with your ex-husband was, was that at the lowest point that it's been, would you say? 
Probably. Or close to it. Yeah. How has it been in the last 10 years, you know, since that trial? Well, you get over the original sting of everything. And at the end of the day, there's reasons that you two could not stay together. But you have to remind yourself that the children. So whatever you have to do to get along, basically, is what you do. You no longer have to worry about the personal things about that person that drove you crazy. But at the end of the day, you're still parents to those children. And anything you do, I think, against that other parent ultimately hurts the children. So I think you have to rise above those times when you want to say something about the other parent. Or I think you just have to remind yourself that your children are more important than the immediate good feeling that you might feel about, you know, for saying something. But you you don't want to hurt the children in the process. So that's basically the point we came to. Other than specific things that deal with the children, we don't really have anything to do with each other. But when it comes to the children, we work together very well for them. So Well, and so t- talk about that some, because that's one of the things that's really unique about your story is that you all really have been able to start, well, you were able to cooperate right. in raising your, your kids. So, so when you get divorced, the children are now living primarily with you in Knoxville. Correct. <clears throat> Did there come a time when you and he both agreed it would be best for the kids to go live primarily with him? There was a time. It was about two years after the divorce. I, at this time, had finished my last two years at the university, still working two jobs. There was a lot that I was going through at the time financially. I mean, I was a single mother. I was driving two hours to the university I was attending one way. So two to three days a week I was doing that. The other days I was working one of the two jobs to try to make ends meet. It just didn't leave a lot of time for the kids. Before the divorce, I was a stay-at-home mom. And I had all that time with the children. But now that I was the breadwinner and in school myself, it made that very challenging. So, number one, I felt like they were doing without. But then on top of that, after the graduation and things, there was a lot of emotional factors that came in. I was still trying to rebound from, it had been a crazy two years. With you say the after divorce. graduating from college? Yes. Mean? The divorce was finalized in my third year of college. So, after the divorce was finalized, I had one more year to attend. After finishing that and still working two jobs, trying to figure out what I was going to do, how I was going to take care of the children, they started getting at the age where they wanted to be involved in sports, um, extracurricular things, and I had no time to do that. So that was the second hardest thing, or the second hardest decision. I had to call their father and say, look, I think that the kids would be more stable at your house at this point. I said that was the second hardest decision. That was the first hardest decision I've ever had to make. I remember that day. I cried and cried and cried. I couldn't even get the words out for the longest time. I know he sat on the other end of the phone knowing that something was really wrong. But ultimately, I knew that his house would provide stability that I couldn't provide at that time and that they were going to be able to enjoy things. He was remarried, stable home. Both of them had jobs. So I let the children go back and live with him. And then I had visitation, so we, it basically just swapped. And you just reversed whatever yeah. the parenting plan was? Right. And so how did the kids do in that environment? They did well. 
you can always look back and say, oh, this could have went better or that could have went better. But ultimately, what's benefited the kids is that they've had both parents and both sets of grandparents very involved in making their life stable. So they haven't had to worry about really any of it through the process. So they had that stability with him. They did very well for a few years, and now currently they are back in my home. So, Well, and that's interesting. So you reach a point where you realize, you know, where you've got to be selfless and look to what is best for your kids and not what's right. best for you and realize that although this is going to hurt you tremendously uh, and you're going to miss them more than anything, you realize it's that they'd be better off uh, being able to enjoy those right. extracurricular activities and that sort of thing that you're just not able to get them to and from practice and because right. you've got you're in school and working two jobs and and aren't aren't available just trying to make ends meet. So they go to their dad and how long are they living with him? They lived with him for about six years. Okay. And they've been back with me now for two. And so for those six years that they were with him. You all reversed the parenting schedule, and uh, and the kids did well? They did very well. And I want to state, too, that not only was the decision hard because I was losing my children and you know some of that time I would have had with them, the stigma of being a mother who says that I'm going to voluntarily let my children go live somewhere else is huge. You get judged from all angles. And you judge yourself, really. Did anyone you say anything of, to your face? They don't say it to your face. You just, but it's the attitudes and the questioning eyes that you get and the, you know, people you just, are nervous to say anything. But And you judge yourself. You think, man, I failed as a mother. I just let my children go live somewhere else. I couldn't even deal with it. So along with the hardship of letting them go, you deal with a lot of judgment you know, between yourself and other people too. So, you know, so it says a lot that you were able to deal with all that and still make the decision that you made knowing that that's what was best for your kids. Um, it's what you do when you have kids. It's what you should do. Not everyone can do that. And that's what really, I know you don't think this is a remarkable story, but it is. So the kids go live with him for six years. I assume they're involved in Sports and sports. other sports. Um, yeah, everything was great. They got all of them played sports, got involved in different things. Also, while living with him, they were closer to both sets of grandparents as well. So they had a lot of time with them because both sets of grandparents live closer to where yes. he lives, right? Yes. So all around, they had a security system that you know it was either grandparents or himself. Um, and like I said, he was remarried. Uh, they had a great relationship with her stepmother. So it really worked. Not that we didn't miss each other. And looking back, there's always things you wonder, well, could I have done this differently or could I have done that differently? But all in all, everything that we've done, even though it was scary when we were doing it and we didn't know whether we were making the right decisions, I think as long as you put the children first, they come out okay. They really do. So what led to the decision six years later for the kids to move back with you most of the time? There had been some things that had happened in their father's home between himself and his wife. And this went on for a while. My kids would come and talk to me about it, and I always thought, well, they're just being dramatic. You know, kids will do that. So we worked through it for a while, and after about a year or so, it got to the point where all of the children 
were stating that they could not live in the environment any longer. It wasn't abusive or anything like that, just a lot of factors going on. So we changed our whole world around, and I moved back to the small town, and the children have now moved in with me. So, And they still visit their dad regularly. They have a good relationship with him. You know, they just needed a more stable place at that time, you know. Well, so so how did he come around to agreeing that it would be in their best interest to move back in with you? He did not agree. And that was, uh, we, we hit a little bump in the road there. Um, we had gotten along quite well up until that point. And I knew how he would react if we had to have the conversation. But ultimately, once again, the children are more important than how any re- adult takes it. So... I pulled him to the side one day when the kids were not around and just talked to him about some of the things they had talked to me about, hoping that he would sort of rectify the situation without it coming to, okay, the kids are moving out. Unfortunately, the situation did not get fixed. And so I basically just said, the children are old enough at this point that if we have to go before a judge, he's going to talk to them and, and basically ask what they want to do within reason. And I said, we've already spent a lot of money in the past, uh, wasted money that wasn't necessary, and I don't think we need to do that again. So after talking it out, we just decided it was what was best to let the kids do what they wanted to do and move back into my house. So we worked through that again. Um, But this time you were able to do it without having to get lawyers and judges. That's great. So Again, that's part of what makes this such an interesting story is because people typically who go to trial end up with, you know, that's a very acrimonious process and they end up with a lot of hurt feelings and wounds that take a long time to heal for you all to to then be cooperatively changing where they live and they go from mom to dad. And then when that situation gets bad, you all agree that it's better for them to go now from dad back to mom and to do all of that without a trial and, and all that is pretty remarkable, actually. How old are your kids now? Well, the oldest is 19, and then an 18-year-old, and then we have a 16, almost 17-year-old, and a 15-year-old. How have the kids as a whole turned out after going through mom and dad getting divorced? Of course, they weren't involved in the trial when they were young when that happened. But what's the end of the story look like thus far, at least as far as how the kids turn out? Now, if I brag on my kids, I'm going to sound prejudiced. (laughs) I think people expect remarkable. They have. Um, I was so scared through some of it. And even now, I mean, if you've got kids, you worry. But they all wonderful grades, Pretty much all of them straight A students. They're involved in things outside of school. They have close friends. When I compare their behaviors to behaviors I see out of other kids their age, I can't help but be proud of what they've become. And it's not just me or their father. It's been, like I said, grandparents involved. And through everybody just putting them first and making sure that they've been okay through the process, I think it's made a world of difference for them. Certainly the the research shows that one of the biggest indicators of kids successfully emerging from a divorce is the fact that mom and dad aren't constantly berating the other parent to the children. Mm-hmm. That happens a lot more than you would think. It's easy to do, though, when you're caught up in those emotions. I've had to stop myself from saying a few things <laughs> in front of my children. Had to bite that tongue. <laughs> <laughs> but you just remember that 
regardless of what the person has done or what flaws they might have, they're still the father or mother of those children. And if you put that person down in front of those children, ultimately, I think, like I said before, it hurts the child, but it also hurts your relationship with the child. They see how you treat that other parent, and I think in the end, it causes them to have least respect for you. And well, yeah, because they love the the parent, right? You know, no that's, matter that's my if, dad you're talking about, or yeah, whatever. Even if the parent does have flaws, and children children are smart, you don't have to point out the other person's flaws. <laughs> they, it's amazing how many flaws you know that they pick up on, and they see. You don't have to tell them; they figure it out. What's their relationship like with their father now? They have a great relationship with their father. Now, there's always, I shouldn't say always, but there's been a couple things that they've had to work out with their father. Um, well, that's true for any kid, And that's right? true for any kid. But I've always encouraged them that no matter what they have to work out with him, that they need a close relationship with their father. Now, that doesn't mean I want a close relationship with him, but they need a close relationship with him. Rather than saying things that you want to say or trying to get back at the other person, just let the children and that parent work it out and encourage them to have respect for that parent, even if you don't care for the parent yourself. So how old are you now? I'm 38. (laughs) You're 38 years old. You have a college degree. Yes. You've remarried. Yes. You've got four children that are happy and well-adjusted and successful. Mm -hmm. You've come quite a long way. Come a long way. A lot can change in 10 years. Are you happy yes. with the person that you've become? Looking back from where you were when you first came into my office, are you happy with the, the end product now? So happy, yes. Still have a long ways to go. I think you're always growing, but so much more happier, so much more confident, so much more independent when I need to be. I think it's made me grow in a lot of ways that I wouldn't have grown had I not had the experience. Although it was difficult getting through it, you learn a lot and you grow a lot through the process. So it, there is light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> it's better on the other side. What lessons have you learned having gone through this process, this divorce process and life after divorce? Number one, be more thoughtful before you get married. <laughs> Put a little more thought into that. Really make sure you're compatible. That's a fair point. Um, You know, I think the biggest lesson is just always be true to yourself. Really, I think that, um, and that may sound cliche, but if you don't know who you are and if you're always trying to live what someone else says you are, it's very hard to carry that on and be happy. And then children get in the mix and they sense that. So I really think you always have to be true to yourself. You have to talk things out. You have to communicate and at the end of the day, no matter what happens, the kids have to be first. I think that's that's a huge lesson. And, and we've not always been perfect with that part of it. But that's definitely the biggest thing I've learned is you always have to put the kids first. And if you do, everything's okay. Everything else falls into place. Even if it's hard and even if it's even painful if it's and if it makes you cry and it makes you miss them, mm-hmm. if you know something's best for them, you've got yes. to put them first and, yes. and suck it up. Suck it up. <laughs> Buttercup. (laughs) You can edit that. (laughs) I think I might leave that in. (laughs) I cannot thank Summer enough for sharing her experience with all of us. It's not easy to go back 10 years and relive all of this. 
but her willingness to do so is her gift to others who may find themselves in a similar situation. For the next episode, I want you to be the guest. You're thinking me? Yes, you. If you're listening to this, I want to hear from you. I want to answer your questions. I want to talk about whatever it is you want to talk about. You get to ask me whatever question you want, and I'll do my best to answer it. So how do you get questions or comments to me? There are two ways. The preferred way is for you to call my office and leave me a voicemail message. Call me at 865-971-3757. Get to my voicemail. Say your name, where you're from, followed by your question or your comment. I'll play your message on the air, and then I'll respond. It's that simple. Voicemail is the best way to do it because, after all, this is a podcast. It's something people listen to. So it's better if we can hear you. Once again, my office number is 865-971-3757. That's 865-971-3757. You can either follow the menu to my voicemail or just ask the receptionist to send you to my voicemail. 865-971-3757. Okay, the second way to get your question or comment to me is through the contact form on my website, hurstonlaw.com. That's H-E-R-S-T-O-N-L-A-W, all one word, dot com. Hurstonlaw.com. There's a button at the top that says Contact Us. Click that button, fill out the online contact form, and it'll make its way to me. So, to recap, send me your questions, send me your comments. Once I get enough of them, you'll get the next episode. As for this episode, well, we're done. I'm K.O. Hurston. Thanks for listening.